All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to the Boca Podcast. I am your host, Nathan Holritz, and I am pretty stoked not only to get to hang out with you today, but also to have a brand new guest on our show. My, whoa, Rachel, can you see me okay? We're going we're gonna to make sure that you can actually, there we go. We got it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <Hi>. <laughs> Rachel Crow is here with me. Rachel, thanks for making time, not just for me, but also for our community our audience, our listeners. Um, I'm really excited. We were kind of nerding out even before we started recording. I'm excited for our conversation. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, it really is my privilege. We've actually, and I'm a little bit surprised that we haven't had this conversation sooner. We've known each other, Mm -hmm. seen each other on and off in the local Chattanooga market at photographer Mm -hmm. get togethers and so forth. Uh, You also happen to ride motorcycles, which is another thing we'll talk about in just a little bit. Um, I'm not sure how we haven't ridden together yet, but nonetheless, uh, we've got a lot to cover today, and uh, I'm Mm -hmm. I'm genuinely excited about this. For everybody listening in, uh, first of all, for those of you that are listening to the audio version of this after the fact, we are actually streaming live right now to Facebook um, and to YouTube as well. So for those of you that are watching, please don't hesitate to say hello, comment, ask questions, uh, give Rachel and myself a hard time if you want to do that. Try to throw <laughs> us off. Uh, I'll post comments up on the screen if they come through. But uh, please engage with us because this is certainly a conversation between myself and Rachel. But I would also love for everybody else to get involved. And we're going to be hitting some pretty important topics today that if you have questions about, I'd, I'd love for you to ask those questions. So everybody listening in, um, if, you are miss, if you're not seeing this live, all you have to do is go back to see the replay at facebook.com slash podcast. Uh, but for those of you that are watching live, please don't hesitate to to engage with us. We would love for you to do that. Um, Rachel, we've got a lot to talk about, so I'm going to actually jump right into the questions. And um, hey, let's go. I, I think this is actually a good time for you just to to briefly let us know the name of your brands because we're going to talk about brand position. Tell us the names yeah. of your two photography businesses. Yeah. So my personal photography business is OK Crow Photography. Comes from my last name being Rachel Crow. And then my second brand is Willow Wedding Co. And that one is a team of photographers that we shoot weddings under a smaller budget um, by working together as a team through efficiency and processes. Ooh, yes. And this is one (laughs) of the things that we were talking about before we started recording. Uh, Really actually quite interested to get into some of the, the, the details there because it's a brand that I think our industry needs to consider. It's a brand position, I guess I should say, that our industry needs to consider and uh, we'll talk about why here in just a little bit. For those of you that are listening, I did pop this up on the screen, but it's willowwedding.co. You can check out that brand there. And then Rachel's other photography brand as well, okcrow, C-R-O-W-E.com. I popped that up on the screen for those of you who are watching. Make sure you take a look at that. And uh, so let's get to this conversation, though, about brand position. This is something we talk a lot about on the podcast, brand position being basically the value proposition or the unique value proposition that your businesses mm-hmm. offer to the market. Start with your personal wedding brand, if you don't mind. Yeah. So with my personal wedding brand, it's I think the brand position is really working with me as an artist and as an individual. You know, people follow you on social media. They become really connected to your face, who you are, your, your personality, what you stand for. So I think with the OK Crow brand, the brand position really is that I'm an internationally published traveling wedding photographer and you work with me personally. Um, With Willow Wedding, oh, did you want to say something? No, please go ahead. (laughs) Please keep going. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So for Willow, I say that it solves the missing connection between clients looking for quality wedding photography on a budget Mm. and photographers with gaps in their schedule. 
Um, so with Willow, we're trying to reach a lower price point, aiming particularly for the weddings that are under the $2,000 budget range. Um, I think I saw a statistic a couple years ago in a wedding report that said something like 78% of weddings are photographed for under $2,000. Mm-hmm. So when I saw that, I was like, well, my personal prices begin at 3600 now. So that means I'm missing out on a huge part of the market. And what can I do to tap into that market? Um, so Willow was kind of my answer to that. By working with a team of photographers, we're able to work together and fill gaps in our schedule particularly weddings that would be coming up in the next month or two. We specialize kind of in the like short-term planning or like elopement, smaller weddings. Um, and we're able to shoot those weddings at a lower price point because of working together. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's really huge. Uh, and let's park here for a second because this is a brand yeah. that I've actually talked about on the podcast before, not your brand specifically, but a brand concept, uh, an opportunity mm-hmm. in the market, like you point out, that is just massive, literally between 70 and 80% of weddings shot in the US um, Mm -hmm. annually. And this has been the case now for some time for about two grand and below. And most photographers, Mm -hmm. understandably, they get into the market, they start there because they're like, oh, I need, I can't charge as much. And I want to kind of get a feel for what it means to shoot a wedding. And I'll gradually raise my prices because I don't want to shoot so many each year. I did that very thing, right? Mm -hmm. I started 350 bucks for my first wedding, lost money because I'm shooting (laughs) film. So I did get that film process. Um, but, uh-huh. but then beyond that, what I ended up doing was working up to seven, eight, nine, ten thousand $10,000. And that's such mm-hmm. a small segment of the market. And it's cool that you don't have to mm-hmm. shoot as much, but you're missing out on a massive opportunity as a business. The challenge, mm-hmm. and, and I, I would love for you to comment on this. The challenge, of course, is if you're going to get into that, that lower segment of the market, which is a genuine need, you have mm-hmm. to shoot more in order to make it a viable business. So yeah. how, like, what would you say to a photographer who's like, okay, this sounds interesting, but I just can't imagine shooting 50, 100, 200 weddings a year in order to make this a business that generates the kind of income that I mm-hmm. need to. What's your response? Yeah, I think the associate photographer idea really is the response to that. It's the only answer. And that was something that I reached to where I was like, I don't want to exhaust myself shooting every single weekend. So what can I do to, you know, distribute that work a little bit more? So with using associate photographers, you're hiring a photographer who has a gap in their schedule. Um, And a lot of times they're a really good pro photographer who just has a weekend coming up and they're like, yeah, I'd love to shoot that and make a little bit of money and not have to do as much work with it. So I'm doing all the back end admin work. I'm doing all the contracts, the timelines, all of that kind of stuff. I give them instructions. They show up on the day of, they shoot all day. They hand over the raw files at the end of the day to me. I do all the editing and the post-processing and stuff. So it takes out a big chunk of their work. So they're able to add that extra date and schedule. Um, And I don't have to personally be there doing the hard work on the day of carrying the heavy gear and being on my feet and stuff. So it's kind of distributing the workload in a way by using a photographer brand. Well, and we're going to talk more about this. In fact, this is kind of our primary topic today, the significance of systems, Mm -hmm. because you say that you do all those things, but I know that you've got systems in place that help (laughs) you get those things done because you have that brand and then you also have your own personal wedding brand. That's a lot Mm -hmm. to juggle if you don't have some kind of system or set of systems in place to manage it all. And so we're going to talk about that more here in just a second. I want to highlight something that you said, though which was, I mean, you highlighted just on a very basic level, the ability of the photographer. We're not talking about compromising the quality of photography just because we're shooting at Mm -hmm. a low price point. And I think that's really important to note because a lot of photographers kind of make this automatic connection between I am, you know, a beginner photographer, I'm a newer photographer, I'm, Mm -hmm. quote, not as good as so-and-so, and so so I'm going to charge less. The reality is the market needs this 
segment uh, of photographer mm-hmm. that is serving, you know, for example, when I got married back in 2000, um, my parents paid $600 for a wedding photographer. <laughs> and it's, yeah. I know we, we laugh and we smile, but at the same time, <laughs> there's a genuine need for that because that was, believe it or not, for anybody listening in or watching, that was a lot of money for my parents. They just didn't make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So 600 bucks for a wedding photographer is like, oh man, that's, that's a chunk. And the reality is that there is a massive percentage or portion of the, the U.S. Mm-hmm. population that that is the case for. No matter how much time we spend yeah. talking about how important wedding photography is and the art of it and you know all the mm-hmm. things that photographers like to say, it doesn't change somebody's income and their ability to be able to afford it. So absolutely, comment just a little bit on that and your experience thus far serving that side of the market and what that actually means to that segment of the market. Yeah, absolutely. I think that it's just like what you said. A lot of times we talk about the importance of wedding photography, how important it is to document that. And there's a big part with marketing wedding photography and with being a wedding photographer where it's like a heart connection to the art, where you're like documenting one of the most special days of people's lives. And I look at that and it's like just because someone's at a lower income and they're not able to afford three, four, ten thousand dollars worth of wedding photography doesn't mean that they don't deserve to have those memories documented in a beautiful way as well. Um, So really, I look at it in that way. And it's like I want to be able to provide services to those people, too, because they deserve beautiful wedding photos as well. I love that. I love that. And we'll leave it at that. I I could honestly spend a lot of time here because (laughs) I I think there is really just a massively underserved segment of the population when it comes to portrait photography, wedding photography, Mm -hmm. under the guise of, I mean, I think a lot of times, maybe it's a little bit harsh to say ego. I I think sometimes there is ego at play. The photographers are like, oh my goodness, I I can't Mm -hmm. afford to, or the the idea of putting this low price tag in connection with my Mm -hmm. brand, I can't imagine doing that. Uh, but the reality is the market needs what it needs. And I I think it's great that you've created this brand that is serving that segment of the market. I know that you've got plans to build this in the long term in a much larger scale. I think that's incredible too. I'm a huge fan already. (laughs) I think the other key too, when people are talking about the lower price point and stuff is that with Willow, we don't do a minimum number of hours. So a lot of wedding photographers who are shooting at higher price points, their packages are six, eight, 10 hour, 12 hour packages. Um, so we do all I, like hourly pricing. We don't do our yeah. packages at all. So the client can pick two hours if their budget is $500. They're still able to get good photography, but they only have two hours of photography. Okay. So it's also looking at like how can we provide our services with also like matching the client's needs and also not overextending ourselves as well. So we're able to meet that lower price point. That's, that's, that's actually really, really big deal because, okay, so Mm -hmm. you're saying two hours, roughly 250 an hour, is that kind of the price point that you're charging? Yeah. So we do, yeah, it's a a la carte 250 an hour. Okay. Because Mm -hmm. the reason I think this is important is because a lot of photographers would say, well, there's no way I can actually make money if I work in the segment of the market at 250 an hour, if you have systems in place. And that's the key here. Cause that's I, the key. <laughs> and I think a lot of photographers, that's where they're like, you know what? Yeah. It's, I get it, but I just, I can't, I can't imagine having to put the systems in place. It's not my strength, mm-hmm. managing a team, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, and so definitely this segment of the market's not for everyone. I just have to give you major props for going there and, and having the Thank wherewithal you. and the understanding of systems to actually make it happen. I think it's really cool. So uh, again, we'll leave it alone for now, but we're going to come back because really <laughs> we're, we're digging into the significance of systems and how it's enabled you to grow mm-hmm. both of your businesses. We'll get to that here mm-hmm. in just a second. But you talked about the importance of service for your clients, mm-hmm. their experience. Talk to me about in your mind, what is the biggest principle or idea that drives your ability to give a really great customer experience? 
Yeah. So for me, it's all about communication. I think that communication is key when it comes to customer service. I, my goal is always to like over communicate and over explain and over educate as much as possible. And again, going back to systems and how it all ties together, for me, that came down to automating a lot of my emails and having in my workflow different educational emails, different like check-in emails and things that would be reoccurring conversations with clients, setting those all to be automated throughout the booking time or the, the booking process. So if they booked me nine months out, I might email five, 10, 20 times. But if I can automate all of those and save those conversations and save that time, I'm still providing that customer service experience that they were wanting with that education and with the you know, availability to talk to me, but not having to put in the work behind the scenes to actually have those conversations. Yeah, automation plays such a huge role. I'm sure you're going to talk more about that mm-hmm. when we get into the, the nitty gritty of systems. But yeah. <laughs> one of the things that um, I, I like to kind of play devil's advocate with our guests. So when, when we talk about automation and its significance, of course, one of the natural pushbacks in that is, well, if we automate that process, then it won't feel as personal. And it, mm-hmm. there is there's some compromise to be made at least certain levels, yeah. nuanced ways Uh, between the automation and the personalization, what does that balance look like for you in managing your businesses effectively while still at least attempting to give as much a personal feel as possible? Yeah. So that compromise for me was setting all of my automated emails in the first line to say, this is an automated email. So I wanted clients to know that if it seemed a little bit sterile and if it seemed a little bit impersonal, it's because I wasn't emailing them directly. I love that. You're managing their expectations (laughs) up front. That's huge. Exactly. So you have to teach your clients how to think of you and how to communicate with you and stuff. So when I do my onboarding call, because all of my clients have a video call with me when they're booking, um, that's something we actually go over. I say what to expect from me leading up to your wedding day. And we talk about, I'm going to send you some automated emails. They're going to have some tips and advice and education in them that I've found helpful for my clients throughout the years. Feel free to ignore these emails if they're not helpful to you or feel free to respond to them. If you have questions, I'll respond directly back to you myself or my assistant. I also let them know ahead of time that I do have an assistant who might be communicating with them as well, which we can go over more later. Sure. Um, But again, it's just managing their expectations, educating the client, teaching them how you do business and how to communicate with you. Wow. Okay. I mean, again, we could, this is somewhere we could park and spend a lot of time because (laughs) as much as... I mean, in the entrepreneurial world and certainly the photography world, as much as we yeah. talk about communication and its importance, I don't really think it, it can be over communicated. And especially when it comes to managing expectations. And honestly, this is still a learning curve for me, even at Photographer's Edit, for example, yeah. making sure that I'm communicating and our team is communicating in such a way that the photographer knows what to expect up front. And then, of course, mm-hmm. there's also the the responsibility on our part, and this plays well, of course, with photography businesses as well, the, the responsibility to actually follow through on that expectation or the expectations that are created up front. Mm-hmm. That's huge. But I love, I don't think I've heard, I mean, almost 500 episodes now, I don't think I've heard of any photographer <laughs> adding the caveat or managing the expectation proactively that, hey, this email is actually automated. And so that they know mm-hmm. the difference and they don't feel yeah. like they're, I don't know about you, Rachel, but I'm a little bit cynical, I guess, maybe being in the industry for a long time. <laughs> and, and when I see an email come through, I'm like, oh, that kind of yeah. sounds automatic. Like, is it a mm-hmm. template or has it just been automated? Yeah. And you just kind of nix the necessary cynicism there, I guess, by saying, hey, you know what? This mm-hmm. is automated and here's the information. Yeah. That, that's really, yeah. I, I love that idea. Well, I think that for me, I try to run my business as transparent as possible. So Mm -hmm. I tell my clients a lot of the behind the scenes, a lot of what I do on social media with my Instagram stories and whatnot, 
is telling clients behind the scenes of like my processes and stuff. And I find that clients actually appreciate that because one, that's more interesting to them than just seeing like other people's photos. They like to be able to connect with you on a more personal level and know how you're running your business and stuff. Um, and I also think that it just kind of educates them on what you expect from you. I'm very particular about the way that I onboard clients. I do a lot of that education up front because I really do believe that you have to teach clients what to expect and how to communicate with you and how to treat you as a business owner. Yep. And so that all plays into that. I, I could go on a, on that subject for hours. <laughs> well, but I think it's so important and I'm, I'm glad that you bring it up. Yeah. And I, I cannot remember where I heard the quote, uh, but there was, there was a, quote, and I've mentioned it before in the podcast, that people only get upset when two things happen. One, when they feel lied to, and two, when they feel confused. And mm-hmm. I, neither, I mean, I, I, as, as a business owner myself and yourself, the little bit that I know you, I know that we're not going to be lying to our clients, so that's not an issue. Now we have to deal with the potential for confusion. And mm-hmm. the last thing certainly that I would want for my clients is that they're confused with our process. Mm-hmm. Because I know that confusion, Absolutely. especially in 2021, means, eh, I don't have time for that. I'm going somewhere else where it's easier to understand or I, I, I can make sense of what it is that they're trying to tell me. Yes. I, I think it's mm-hmm. super important that you're proactively managing expectations. I love that you're doing that in that way. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, no, and thank you for, honestly, thank you for the reminder though because it's, it's really good that we dig into these important principles that, you know, it's funny, mm-hmm. 500 episodes, people would say, well, how do you create, how do you come up with unique content for 500 episodes worth of content or of, of podcasts mm-hmm. episodes. And there is certainly repetition innate to doing this many episodes. We're going to keep creating a bunch of them too. But yeah. I think what's important to remember is that the things that make the biggest difference in our businesses and our personal life for that matter as well, I'm 41. I've, I've learned this the hard way in some cases is it's really the basics. And mm-hmm. as much as talking about communication uh, is it may seem a bit cliche, it may seem a bit repetitive. I think we could all stand to continue to refine our process when it comes to communication. So anyway, we'll, we'll leave it at that for now. But let's jump to something else, time management. And we're going to talk about systems, obviously related to time management, but we talk a lot about time management mm-hmm. here on the podcast because at the end of the day, our brand uh, is largely about saving photographers' time. At Photographers Edit, we, we talk about it here. I'm creating other companies mm-hmm. that are, that are uh, related to that as well. But I'm curious outside of systems, if there's something else, an idea, a principle that you implement in your businesses or your personal life that helps you create a little bit more freedom, flexibility as a business owner. Yeah. So my goal as a business owner is always to work the least amount possible. And I know that's very contradictory to hustle culture and to what a lot of um, like entrepreneurs and different things will tell you what to do. They're always like, work harder, wake up at 5am, work till midnight, you know, all these things, answer emails on your lunch break. Um, I have the opposite goal. I feel like I want to work the least amount possible and make the most amount of money. (laughs) And honestly, a lot of that ties back to for me, mental health. I think Mm. that like, you know, I struggle a lot with anxiety and depression and different things. And I know that when I'm working myself into the ground and I'm burning myself out by going, 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 going all the time, mm-hmm. I, my mental health definitely is impacted by that. Yeah. Um, so in order to monitor that and to care for myself, it really came down to prioritizing rest and prioritizing sleep and different things. Um, even as terrible as the pandemic has been for a lot of the event industry, I felt like it was something that I learned during that Mm. was there was about probably about a month at the beginning where we were all kind of like, what's going to go on and all the weddings were rescheduling. And, you know, we don't have to get into all that. But during that month, even though I was stressed out, 
I had nothing else to do but like sit around and sleep. And I was feeling really kind of discouraged with my business. So I wasn't trying to work on anything. Um, but I realized after that, that I really needed that period of rest. And I really needed some time off to kind of just get a refresh and a restart on myself in order to feel inspired to work again. Um, so for me, that's come down to really just looking at my schedule and looking at what I have coming up and blocking off blackout dates where it's a day off. I'm not going to pick up my phone. I'm not going to look at my email. Sometimes it's a weekend. Sometimes if I'm working over the weekend, it's a Wednesday or a Tuesday or a random day. Sometimes it's just an afternoon, but I will go on my calendar and mark off a whole set of time or a date or even two, three days if I need it. And I'm very strict with myself about like not picking up my phone, not doing any type of work during that time and turning off my brain because you really do need it, especially as a creative. A hundred percent. Well, but I love the, mm-hmm. the beauty of you emphasizing and, and actually making this a priority, this idea of creating space, mm-hmm. freedom, time where you don't work, where you're literally putting your phone down. And simultaneously, mm-hmm. you've got two companies that you also intend to grow. And the reality mm-hmm. is, and I, this, I can say this from personal experience, I know others have done it. I love that you're proving the concept. The reality is that those two things can happen. We can create, mm-hmm. and again, we're going to talk about systems, which is really probably the underlying top one or two principles behind doing something <laughs> like sure. that, um, it, that enables us to do that. But you can, you can create a business, put the systems in place necessary for that yeah. business to not just function, but to actually grow. And mm-hmm. also not have to work 80 hours a week. I, I, I know I, yes. I've probably brought this up multiple times now on the podcast, but you're familiar with Gary Vaynerchuk, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Gary, I mean, I know he's brought a lot of inspiration to a lot of people and myself included, by the way, with his work ethic and his consistency in that. But I, that, that idea of I'm going to work 80 hours a week, miss out on time with family under the guise of you know, <laughs> building the biggest thing possible. Yeah. <laughs> I just can't relate to that. And I don't think most people, to your mm-hmm. point, Rachel, are wired to function that way and to be healthy doing so. No, I think it works well for some people. And, you know, for Gary Vee, it may be for him a great way of doing things. But I know for me, I was running myself into the ground. And especially as a creative, before I started prioritizing rest, I just felt uninspired and like unable to think creatively. Mm-hmm. I was getting into a rut and I felt like I wasn't happy with my work. I wasn't happy with what I was doing. And I even at one point started looking at other jobs and like working on my resume and stuff and being like, maybe I'll go back to like doing something else. Maybe I'll go get a different career. And once I started prioritizing rest, I started feeling inspired again and actually feeling like, okay, I have the energy to create some of these systems that I need. I have the energy to work on a second business. Honestly, before I was working way more and I never would have had the energy to take on a whole nother project. So I feel like I am actually maximizing my activity now that I'm prioritizing rest. Wow. I'll let that sit for everybody listening in because this is super powerful stuff. And again, we're going to add more context to it as we get into systems in a second. Um, I, I mean, leading up to our conversation, you, you just highlighted this. You said, my goal is always to work less. And I can very much relate to that because even, you know, I don't know, 10, 12, 13 years ago, that was, that was the thought process for me behind creating Photographer's Edit. I had a photography company and it was doing really well, mm-hmm. but I wanted to create more flexibility for myself. And I got mm-hmm. lucky enough to, to have a great team to back me up that I could work as little as three or four hours in a week. And that was, I, I went kind of the extreme route. Looking back, like if I put 10, <laughs> 15, 20 hours a week in, I'd be in a whole different place yeah. right now. Nonetheless, it's True. possible. And, and that's kind of the, the point is that it's possible yeah. if you put the right systems in place and, and put the right mm-hmm. people in place. It makes all the difference yeah. in the world. But we'll talk more about that in a second. 
I, I yeah. one of the things when we talk about time management, I have to at least bring this up because it's something we can relate on. You ride motorcycles. You have a motorcycle. I a do. black Is it a Honda? Is that right? It's a Honda Shadow. That's okay. correct. How long have you been riding? Um, probably about two years now, I okay. think. Yeah, I took a class at the local university for a weekend and learned how to ride. And my grandpa actually rode motorcycles. And so I was always inspired by him as a kid. He was like the cool guy. Yeah, he had traveled the world and he knew all like a little bit of all these foreign languages. And he rode a motorcycle. And I was like, I want to be him when I grow up. Wow. Um, Much to my mother's dismay as I bought a motorcycle. (laughs) (laughs) So how often do you get to ride? Not as often as I'd like. It's not my daily driver, um, but I do love it on the weekends and just to go on a ride around town. That's honestly part of why I got into riding motorcycles was also for for the rest factor. Mm -hmm. You can't work on anything else when you're working on a motorcycle. You have to have all of your gears in motion thinking about that. So I felt like I had to like really hone in when I was riding Mm -hmm. and it's been able to give me a really good mental break because I'm not worrying about work or you know, trying to text and drive or something. Cause that's just not even possible. <laughs> I, I'm so glad you bring that up. It's so true. It literally becomes mm-hmm. this kind of almost meditative process, uh, yes. especially with a bike like yourself, uh, the one that you've got, or the one that I just recently got, uh, as a triumph, it's called a speed twin, but I, oh, I, nice. I had some track bikes and you know, where the things are lots of electronics and kind of automation, like automatic shifting up and down and um, mm-hmm. that's cool when you want to go super, super fast. But what I found mm-hmm. was that as much time and effort as I was putting into riding bikes fast and learning how to ride on track. And, and I hope to get mm-hmm. back to that at some point. One of the things I really missed was just riding for the sake of riding that very pure experience where mm-hmm. literally everything, all your senses, mm-hmm. all your appendages, everything is engaged in riding yep. that motorcycle and you have to be present to ride it well. Mm-hmm. I talk yeah. a little bit about that. Like how long did it take for you to get to, <laughs> I mean, you, you just started two years ago, but like from jumping yeah. on the bike for the first time to getting to a place where you at least felt comfortable with it. Yeah, I really do feel like it becomes kind of tunnel vision and almost like as cheesy as it sounds, you feel like you're one with the bike for the whole time that you're riding it because you really have to be in tune as well, like with the whole process of riding. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say I picked it up pretty quickly. Honestly, I had a friend who helped me learn a little bit. We would go to like a big open parking lot and drive circles or I would drive back roads and stuff like that. And I did have a wreck early on that almost scared me out of riding again. It mm. took me a few months to get climb back on the bike. But once I did, I was like, okay, I want to keep doing this. <laughs> Good for you. I love that you came back so, from that too, because it can be nerve wracking. Yeah. I had a pretty bad wreck. Uh, I don't know. It's been about two years ago or so. Uh, I was riding mm-hmm. up in, up in the mountains and we were pushing and it, mm-hmm. it, speaking of focus, it, it was literally a split second lapse of focus that ended up causing mm-hmm. the wreck. Um, and so it really is a good reminder of the significance of, I, I mean, honestly, just in general, writing seems to be this beautiful metaphor for life. And I've learned so much through the process. <laughs> I, I think it's really, yeah. really cool. I know not everybody's going to be like, oh, I'm going to go get a motorcycle now. But I think it's, it's yeah. a good thing to encourage everyone who's listening in or watching to find that thing that enables yeah. you the opportunity to kind of disassociate or disconnect from this thing that we, I know we all love work and our business Mm -hmm. and it feels like our baby to find something that we can truly give our attention and focus to. And as Mm -hmm. a result, almost kind of experience that meditative process. I think it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. 
Yeah, you got to have hobbies outside of work. You can't only work all the time. That's another part of rest. Rest isn't just, you know, bubble baths and, you know, going to sleep early or sleeping yeah. in. It's also taking care of yourself and doing things outside of work that you enjoy and mentally stimulate you. Well, well again, another topic that I could spend a super long time on. Maybe we'll get a chance <laughs> to ride again, uh, ride together some point. I think it'd be really Absolutely. great fun. That there's, there's not a that. big community, I don't think, of local uh, motorcycle riders, I should say mm-hmm. that, that ride regularly together, like a, a group that hangs out. Yeah. I think it'd be really cool to figure something out and make that happen too. But it, there's something about wow. the community of that, that I've really enjoyed. You talk about your grandfather, my dad rode, uh, still, still, well, actually rode until just recently and rode, you know, uh-huh. growing up and we'd get to ride with them and it was so much fun. Yeah. And now my brothers, uh, ride Two of my brothers are riding so I can ride with them as uh-huh, well, which cool. is super fun. The community of it's a lot of fun as well. Well, I got to give them a shout out. There is a local girls group of riders no that way. I ride with called the Vagabrods. Mm-hmm. And pre-COVID, okay. <laughs> yeah. pre-COVID, we would meet up at least once a month and get drinks together or go for a ride on a Saturday morning or something. So I'm sorry to hear that there, I don't know of anything for the guys, but I do know <laughs> of something for the ladies, which I feel like is the reversal of how motorcycle groups normally work. But <laughs> That's brilliant though. Well, good for you. Uh-huh. I, yeah, I guess I'm going to have to start one or something. <laughs> you should, you should. Well, I, I want to get into our kind of our primary focus for today, which I mean, it, it's certainly systems. And we want to talk about the significance of systems and how it's enabled you to grow both your companies so far. Uh, but before mm-hmm. we do, I... I find it very important not to just throw out quick tips and tricks because we could do that and be done in 20 minutes and call it a day. I, I think it's mm-hmm. important to kind of lay a groundwork of philosophy and principles and ideas that drive why we do what we do. So let's talk sure. a little bit about the, because we've touched on this a little bit. I don't want anybody listening in to get the impression that uh, either of us are trying to escape work in the sense that we're trying to be lazy. There's a difference between laziness and working intentionally and laziness and working efficiently Mm -hmm. and laziness and working intelligently. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the difference between those two things. Okay. Well, first of all, I definitely think there is a difference, but I also think intentionality can be motivated by laziness. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Okay. (laughs) Um, So I would say laziness, it really does come down to, like you said, like the intention. So maybe with laziness, it's just kind of avoiding work or procrastinating or not feeling inspired. But to me, when you're intentional, you're looking at it and you go, oh, I have a goal. And like I said, my goal is to work the least amount possible so that I can prioritize my mental health and rest and different things. Um, So if I have that goal in mind, I'm looking at things through that lens and I'm seeing how can I reach that goal. So it's a lot more intentional and like directed, I would feel like, than just being like, ah, I don't feel like working. I'm not going to work today. (laughs) Okay. So the big difference is intention. By the way, for anybody that's watching, you'll occasionally see me look down. I've got a pen right here and a a notebook, believe it or not, that I'm going to take notes on. So you may see me looking down. So intention though, that's the key difference. So for you, you, and and you feel like the, the biggest intention behind why it is that you've implemented these systems is that you are obviously you want to run and and even grow businesses, but you don't want to be working Mm -hmm. constantly. Is that kind of the gist of it? It truly is. Yeah. I also think aside from even the working less concept for me as well, when you look at being a wedding photographer and shooting weddings yourself, it's a, there really is like a ceiling that you reach. You only have a certain number of weekends. And if you're not working smart, and not working efficiently, then you can't even fill up all of those weekends because you have so much post and pre-work that you're having to do. 
Um, so I really was also looking at it too, from a standpoint of wanting to work less, but also in a way, how can I work more? How can I take on more clients? How can I maximize my profits as well? So it's, it's twofold. It's not just like, I don't feel like working or like, I want to have more time off, but it's also, how can I maximize my profits along with that? That makes sense. Okay. I, I want to pause here because it's something I haven't done yet. I actually meant to do this earlier, but I want to share my screen and get to your work because you, Rachel, you've got kind of this unique talent set and that you're an artist and a business person. You think like a business person. I want to dig into to where that comes from in just a second. But for everybody that's mm-hmm. watching, um, I've actually got Rachel's Instagram uh, account pulled up for her personal or her personal Instagram account here, OK Crow and OK Crow Weddings uh, as well. We're gonna we're gonna click on that. Actually, come right over here, and you can see this account, which. I mean, you have such a wonderful variety, by the way, Rachel. I love the fact that that you've got, as much as I know a lot of photographers are kind of obsessed with having this, this perfectly curated feed with the exact right colors and everything just mm-hmm. kind of looks the same. I love the variety innate to, to this Are you feed. saying I don't have a good feed, Nathan? Are you <laughs> saying my feed doesn't look good? <laughs> Actually, I, I like the variety of it. And, and genuinely, like that's a compliment. Thank you. And because rather than just kind of following suit and doing what so many other photographers do and trying to, to you know, create, again, it, it seems like a lot of times the focus is on that, yeah. um, like the, the color palette, oh, they literally create a color palette and everything's mm. got to kind of fit into that color palette. I, I, I'm oh, thinking yeah. about like for a, a potential client who lands on your Instagram feed and they want to see what you're capable of. If everything kind of looks the same, I don't know, where's, where's yeah. the interest in that? So you've got such a lovely oh, yeah. variety of photography here. That's actually something I talk about with clients from time to time. It's been a question that's either come up from the clients and or just something that I voluntarily talk about um, is that I don't think that photos should look exactly the same. I don't think your edit should be exactly the same based on location and lighting and different things. And this is a tangent that I I won't bunny trail off of for too long. Um, But I do think that in different lighting situations, different landscapes, different types of greens, depending on where you're at, there's different you know, a variety of different colors, different skin tones. I don't think your photos should look all the same. I think that they should fit the scenario. So that's part of why my feed may not look exactly consistent is that I don't try to tweak colors so that they're all identical. I try to keep things as true to life as possible. But that goes into my editing style and stuff, my personal preference. Sure. And yeah, and I, I get that the personal preference does play in pretty significantly. But mm-hmm. um, I, again, I can't stress enough. That was a compliment. I, I, I think it's a great thing to have <laughs> variety in that. And instead yeah. of trying to have the quote unquote perfect feed that you actually have variety there that represents a wide um, a wide range of photographic capability just in that one feed. Thank and I you. didn't even pull up the, your other brand, but yeah, definitely a compliment. But I, I bring that up too, just as kind of a segue to a question about your seeming ability to to be an artist and a talented one at that, and also be a business person to think like a business person. One of the things that you mm-hmm. mentioned to me before we started recording was that you and your mom used to flip houses as you were growing up. Did you develop this kind of entrepreneurial mindset as you were growing up? I would say so. Yeah, I think that maybe not so much growing up, but through the power of growing up with a mom who was very entrepreneurial and very hardworking, it kind of showed me that I was capable of it if Mm. I wanted to go that route. Yeah, Um, I did after. So I I went to college and I have a degree in business and in marketing. I was a double major, um, which is part of how I think about business and everything. But after working after college, I ended up working in a few ad agencies. And while I loved the jobs and they were great 
I just wasn't a good fit for them, honestly. Mm. And I remember sitting there and saying, okay, this is a pretty good job, pretty good company. The pay is not that bad, but I'm not happy. And I feel like I'm not even doing the best possible job Mm. that somebody else could do. And it really was looking at it and being like, I think I would just enjoy being my own boss. I think I would enjoy, you know, being able to take things into my own hands and do things the way that I want to. I'm very stubborn and very hard headed (laughs) of thinking I have the best way. (laughs) Yeah, I think you kind of have to be to be a good business owner, too. It takes a little bit of confidence to do that. Exactly. And so I think that I have maybe a little bit more business background than artist background. And that kind of lends itself well to what I've been able to develop with my systems and processes and things and the way that I think about business. Um, But I I think I've developed a pretty good balance at this point of both. Well, I have to say, too, (laughs) you're such a great communicator. You're very articulate in the way that you communicate. Thank you. Even your answers to each of my questions, which would, in my mind, suggest a number of things. But one of those is that you've actually taken the time to think through what it is that you were doing. A lot of times, and and to be clear, I've been super guilty of this uh, over the years as a business owner as well. It's easy to just kind of react in the moment and just kind of Mm -hmm. like, oh, I got to get this thing done. So I'll just do it this way because that's the easiest way, the quickest, quickest way right now. And I know it's taken time, but you've it, it, it's obvious that you've taken time to, to work through what it is that drives your business, the principles mm-hmm. behind it, why you do what you do. And to our earlier conversation, that intention enables you to do so much more as a business owner than just simply reacting in the moment. Absolutely. Yeah. And I might be jumping a little bit forward in the conversation. Oh, here, that's all so right. Let me know. <laughs> We're but I think that, yeah, absolutely. Um, really thinking through why you do what you do and how you do things does come back to again with the systems and with outsourcing and stuff, because it's really hard for you to teach someone else to do a job for you if you don't really know what you're doing with that job or why you're doing it or how you're doing it anyways. Like you can't communicate that to people like what you were saying, unless you fully understand it yourself. Um, So I would highly recommend doing a lot of soul searching and thinking about what you want from your business and stuff before you outsource and before you begin implementing your system, because otherwise you may have to do a lot of backtrack work once you do figure that stuff out. It's so true. And I love that you're bringing this up because this has been kind of something I've been harping on a little bit as of late. And honestly, largely because I've been guilty of not being clear uh, in a couple of things. Mm -hmm. One, the communication to my team as I'm delegating to my team even because mm-hmm. I wasn't always clear about what it was that I was wanting out of the situation. You know, you can have this kind of big mm-hmm. picture goal. I want, uh, just to pick something, uh, I want more Instagram followers. Okay. Mm-hmm. And what, what does that mean? Like, what, what is your <laughs> Why? goal? Why do you want them? Yeah. Exactly. And, and then mm-hmm. you know, what is it that you're trying to communicate to that audience? And then do you mm-hmm. have suggestions as to how to begin to build that audience? What is it that's going to gain more mm-hmm. traction, more engagement, and ultimately yeah. draw more people in? I mean, there's so many different Yeah. Or questions. even what are you going to do once you have that audience? Like, what are you, what are you going to do with them? What's your goal to get them to do? Right. Yeah. And that's just one, you know, again, just kind of a random, yeah. I want more. There's so many different things that we as business owners either say out loud or at least think internally, I, I want this, or I want to make this happen, or I want to do this thing. And again, mm-hmm. I've been guilty of this numerous times where I have an idea I have about something that I want, but because I've been mm-hmm. lazy and not really taking the time to work through the details of that, I'm mm-hmm. then going to somebody else, handing that thing off and expecting them to just kind of make it happen. And there's, mm-hmm. I have to take a little bit more responsibility in that process 
to understand what it is that I want to then be able to effectively communicate. Like you were saying, I, I just, I love that you highlight that. Yeah. It's so important. Absolutely. Wait, did you well, learn that kind of the hard way or did, was that just innate for you? Yeah. Well, I would say, so one principle I did learn in business school that's been really helpful with me throughout learning this process is called the five whys. So mm-hmm. it's basically anytime you sit down and you have something, whether it's a need or whether it's a problem you're trying to solve, you ask yourself five times why. So for me, it was like, I want to work less. Well, why? Well, I'm exhausted. Why am I exhausted? Mm -hmm. Because I don't have systems in process. Well, why don't I have my systems done? Well, I'm not inspired because I'm exhausted again. Well, why am I not inspired? Well, I need to rest more. So it's kind of like going and going through your process of like Mm -hmm. why you think through things. And it really does help you come up with a lot of answers as to what your problem is and what you need to do to move forward from it. Um, So I definitely did a lot of that. But I would also say... It was learning through trial and error. Um, I definitely, like I said earlier, burned myself out, became very exhausted early on in my career um, and had to do a lot of like thinking through of, okay, why am I working so hard? Like, what am I doing wrong? And then doing that, I did try to outsource some things and I definitely had the same problem you're talking about where it was like, I almost became frustrated with the people I was outsourcing to. And I was like, why are you not getting it? And the truth was, is that I didn't get it myself. So I wasn't communicating it Mm. well to them. So they didn't really know what to do. They were doing their best based off the information I was giving them, but I didn't have the full information to give them. Interesting. Yeah. So I feel like, like the first time that I tried outsourcing editing, I wasn't thrilled with the editing, but it was because I hadn't, it wasn't because they were a bad editor. It was because I hadn't really nailed down even what I wanted out of my editing, like what my style was, what my look was, what my presets were and stuff like that. And once I had done that process of figuring out my whys and everything and really coming to figuring out what I liked and how I wanted to move my business forward and stuff, I was able to really narrow down on my style as well. And that helped me with outsourcing as well. I, I think there's, and I know we could spend a lot of time on this. We won't. Um, I certainly don't claim to be a psychologist, but there's an interesting parallel between understanding the significance of asking these why questions like you were talking about uh, for mm-hmm. the sake of our business and our ability as an entrepreneur and also our personal health, emotional, psychological health as well. The there's a tendency, I think a lot of times in our culture these days to just kind of say I am, and then there's this label and then that ends there. And we haven't mm-hmm. taken the time to ask the why questions like you were talking about. Uh, I yep. know that I found a lot of benefit from, from doing that and probably will continue to, there's a lot that I have to learn about myself still, but, um, yeah. it's important to ask why and to take well, the time to do it. And it takes, it's not always comfortable. It's not always easy again on a personal level or mm-hmm. a business level, but yeah. it's, it's when you've taken the time for everybody listening and watching, and certainly for myself, when we've taken the time to do that, as Rachel is yeah. describing, there's so much payoff on the other side of it. And, and mm-hmm. it's worth it. More than worth it, I promise. <laughs> yeah. I also think, too, that it's an ongoing process. It's yes. not something where you ever like arrive and you're like, I know everything about myself and everything about Agreed. my business and that sort of thing. Because as humans, as artists, as people, we're constantly changing and evolving anyway. So why wouldn't our businesses be doing that? So it really is an ongoing process of asking those whys and really sitting down and thinking through that kind of thing. Wow. I I have massive respect for you, Rachel. I mean, this is really, really great (laughs) stuff and you're communicating it so articulately as well. Let's talk about systems and actually even the word systems. Um, I I know that there's this kind of assumption when we bring up a word like systems, like there's this kind of Oh, you got to be a nerd to even be interested in the concept, right? And, and you don't strike me as the as the nerd type. You're an obvious artist, and you've got this kind of badass look about you with the motorcycle and everything. 
what what is it first of all because i want to talk about what systems even mean to you and the way that you run your business but like what even drew you to this concept to begin with how did you even develop an interest in it yeah well i've always been really interested in the way things work i've always been that kid who would like take something apart to see how all the pieces fit together or i love watching like TV shows on Discovery Channel or whatever, where it's like behind the scenes of a job or that kind of thing. Even watching like I would go on the DVDs as a kid and go to the DVD menu and watch the like director's cut or something. Not because I was really interested in filmmaking. I just wanted to know why they made it the way they did. Um, So I think that that's always kind of been a nature that's been inside of me of wanting to know why things work the way they do. And that's really lent itself well to to systems because systems really are just your processes and workflows, how things work. Um, so looking at it has been honestly like kind of an exciting, it's an, uh, it's an exciting topic for okay. me because okay. I, I get really excited learning how things work and then learning how to make things better as well. So well, that's and, what really drew me to system. And, and again, I think yeah. you're a wonderful example of the fact that, that this notion of, of structure and systems can coexist mm-hmm. with artistry because there may be an assumption on mm-hmm. a lot of photographers parts who are the more artists types, if you will. They're not, they don't necessarily feel strong as business owners when it comes to the administrative yeah. stuff. They're like, Oh, I just, I'm not good at that. Or I don't have time for that. The reality is you can have time for your art and run a great business and also have time just to live, to do something more than work. Mm-hmm. If you put the yeah. right systems in place, these, these concepts aren't mutually exclusive. And I love that you yeah. are a, an example that you highlight that. Talk to me I though. Think about, I, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think I see systems as a necessity. They're not optional in my opinion. So when you start looking at it like that, as like a, I'm an artist and I want to make a living as an artist, Mm -hmm. I need systems in order to make that living and be able to live out my dream of being an artist. So it's not like I have an option. I can't be like, yeah, if I feel like it, I'll set some (laughs) systems in place. (laughs) It's kind of like, well, I'm going to need to make a paycheck to live. So in order to make a paycheck, I need to get my workflows in order. (laughs) Well, how would you define the word systems? Is that, um, I, I guess, I mean, systems that when I think about it, for example, or, mm-hmm. or these processes that we can put in place that are repetitive in nature, right? Um, that mm-hmm. enable us, as you've highlighted, to be able to scale. It, it enables right. our company to grow. It doesn't mean that we have, as the company grows, it doesn't mean that we have to work more. In fact, it enables us to be able to, in some cases, even work less because the systems are in place. But that's just kind of mm-hmm. my, my limited perspective. What, what's yours? How, how would you define the word? Yeah, very similarly. I would say systems are kind of the processes and the workflows that we have around a task. So if you're looking at a task like shooting a wedding, what is your system around it? So you have different workflows, you have different things that you need to do in order to accomplish to accomplish that task. And it's kind of like this timeline of task leading up to the wedding and even a timeline afterwards. Um, so the way that I look at my systems is, well, if I could, I can just tell you how I started with systems. Please, yeah. Was by, yeah, absolutely. Was looking at weddings and I literally took a... Um, just a big like notebook, big, what's the word I'm looking for? The pages where you can flip over. I'm blanking on <laughs> like a planner of some kind, <laughs> something like that. Okay. Anyways, I had a big notebook. Um, and I just went through and I said, okay, wedding day is here. What are all the tasks that I have to do leading up to a wedding? Mm-hmm. So that would be like the onboarding call with the client once I get an inquiry and then sending a contract and then sending an invoice and then sending an invoice for the remaining balance. You know, what emails do I have leading up to it? Do I have a questionnaire that I'm sending them? 
Do I have like a week of email that I'm sending them that has different tips and different, you know, what I, what I need for them leading up to the wedding day. And then after following the wedding, what are my tasks? They're backing up the files, culling my files, editing them, uploading them, exporting them, sending them to the vendors, all the different stuff. And I just sat down and I wrote down every single task in a row, all the way leading up to the wedding day and all the way after the wedding day. I love it. <laughs> and then I looked at it and I said, okay, looking at these tasks, and I wrote it down exactly how, how I did it. I just, without thinking about it, wrote down every single thing I would do. And then I looked at it and I said, okay, which of these tasks are redundant? They're not necessary. Which of these tasks can be combined so that I can make them quicker? Which of these tasks can I outsource? Which of these tasks are required to be done by me? So such as like a consultation call, or if I'm shooting for my own brand showing up on the wedding, what things can I outsource that don't need to be done by me? So I could outsource editing or I could outsource, you know, who's managing my contracts, that sort of thing. Um, and then looking at what sort of things can I automate? So any of those emails leading up to the wedding, can I make that questionnaire that goes out 30 days before the wedding? Can I automate, you know, an email to the vendors or can I automate some of my print sales, anything like that? And I really just looked through my processes and was able to create this workflow of things that I was personally going to do, things that I was going to outsource to an assistant and things that I was going to outsource to an editor, different things like that. I even went through some of my marketing and said, okay, what kind of ads am I running? Can I outsource these? Is it worth it for me to outsource these? Okay. Because you really have to look at your time as being your most valuable asset and it's your most scarce asset. So when you look at time, you only have 24 hours in a day, right? Mm -hmm. So how are you going to spend that time? And when you're looking through all those tasks and you're going, if I only have 24 hours, what is the most valuable thing in this list of tasks for me to invest my time into? What's going to br bring back the greatest return on that investment? And I was able to look at it and say, okay, maybe my editing is not something that's bringing back the greatest return on the investment because I'm really particular and I spend hours tweaking back and forth like a click on the tent because I <laughs> am I just that. so particular about it. Yep. And I looked at it and said, okay, can I outsource this? Can I train someone who can edit as close to me as possible, whether it's outsourcing to a company or I chose to go the route of an in-house outsourcer mm -hmm. um, and being able to go, can I invest my time somewhere else if I'm outsourcing that somewhere that's going to bring back a greater investment on that? And that's really what motivated me to go through my systems and stuff and to create those workflows. Okay. So uh, this is gold, by the way. And I was trying to like frantically take notes as you're talking about, but I, I, I think I managed to capture it. So the 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 kind of steps the process or the the steps with which you've created your systems was kind of what was underlying that was understanding number one all the moving parts and and I I yeah. love how you described this literally listing out everything that in, in the case of weddings specifically but I, I guess you could do this with any anything in your business right you literally let out, list out every single step or task associated with that particular activity. So you can see it in front of you. I mean, it creates an incredible amount of awareness. I bet it was kind of <laughs> eye-opening, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Well, you look at like people who come in and declutter your house. One of the first steps that they'll do is they'll take all of your clothes out of your closet and lay it out on the floor, lay <laughs> it out in your it bed. Out, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you look at it and you're like, oh, my gosh, I have so much clothes. I can give away some of this to Goodwill. The same concept applies to your tasks. You look at it and you go, oh, my gosh, I have so much to do. What can I get rid of? <laughs> Because yes. you, again, want to work less, or in my case, want to work less. Yeah. Um, so well, yeah, it really it becomes a little bit overwhelming, but it's also creates this awareness of like, I can't do all this on my own. I, and, and again, this 
you have a certain level of awareness about you that that is enabling this type of behavior and ultimately the ability to develop the systems that you're talking about, which we're going to talk about here in just a second. But mm-hmm. so we start with all the moving parts. You have awareness of those moving parts. And the next step is to figure out what are those individual tasks or steps are redundant so you can get rid mm-hmm. of those. And then would you say the next thing then would be to figure out, you mentioned the significance of delegating, figuring out what you can delegate out and then what you mm-hmm. could automate. Is, is that kind of the primary mm-hmm. points there in developing yeah. the system? Yeah. And also the other step that I looked at was looking at what things I could combine. If there oh. were any steps that I could combine together through the onboarding process, like maybe instead of having so many follow-up conversations, it's talking at the beginning and teaching them some of those things. For me, one thing that was really helpful was I made a wedding guide. Um, and I it's literally a printed book. It looks like a magazine. I had a designer design it and I wrote all the copy for it. And it talks a lot about my systems and processes and has a lot of those conversations that normally I would be investing time into. And I mail that to clients when they book with me. And that covers a lot of the information that I would have spent time talking wow. to them about. Yep. So again, that was combining steps because that took like five different emails or different things that I would have to do and combine it into one step, which is just mailing that guide, which I do use my assistant to do. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And then that just saves me a lot of time later on. So it's combining, outsourcing, automating, and then seeing what things you also need to do yourself. So how do you decide, before we talk about the systems, kind of the key systems that you have in your business, how do you decide Mm -hmm. what is the thing or the things that you need to do versus those things that you could delegate? Because I would venture that outside of photographing and even actually the photography you're delegating to a team right uh with your second business most of these things can be done by somebody else in some regards how do you decide what Mm -hmm. you're spending your time on i think for me the like qualifying factor of what needs to be done would either relate to quality so for me that would be reviewing galleries that i've outsourced before that they're sent to the clients um and any other type of quality control that I need to do, whether that's reviewing albums or reviewing email templates or that sort of thing, it would be quality and then um, relationship. So anything that relates to the relationship with the client. So that onboarding call or any like follow-up emails that might need a more personal touch, that would all be relating to me. And that's something that I would consider necessary to do unless it's the associate brand, like I was talking about, because right. then they don't need to build a relationship with me specifically because they're going to have a different photographer. At that point, it's more so about it, the brand, yeah. right? And then having people that can represent the brand. Absolutely. I would okay. agree. And at that point, I intentionally, and I don't want to go on too far of a tangent because this is a topic I could talk about for a long time as well. Sure. Um, but I think when you're building an associate-specific brand, you kind of want to deter your clients from trying to build a relationship because you don't want them to become like attached to any specific photographer because you're going to be, you, they don't really know who they're going to be getting. Like with my brand specifically, they don't find out until six weeks before the wedding who the photographer is going to be. Mm. And that's something that I let them know of up front ahead of time. Mm -hmm. And that's part of the lower price point is that they're not building a relationship with a specific artist. They're just expecting quality work and they don't really care who gives it to them. So I'm deterring them from building a relationship. And instead the main marketing point for that brand is just the price point and thinking about you're going to get quality guaranteeing that it's going to be quality at a lower price point. Interesting. And you're right. That is a loaded topic. We could go so many like different directions <laughs> on that. Maybe we could do another episode at some point because I'm still so fascinated by 
your business model with that second business in particular, because there is such an yeah. opportunity, but you, you do have to think very thoroughly through the whole process in order to make it mm -hmm. work. Maybe we can come back to yeah. that at a different point. I, I wonder if you don't mind telling our listeners what the key systems, like for the, for the various moving parts of your business, what would you say are the most important systems that you have in place that have made the biggest impact? Yeah. Um, well, I would say that it's using platforms that help me with those systems. So for me, those, I would say my three key systems that help me with that are HoneyBook, Calendly, and I just started using ClickUp. Okay. So HoneyBook is my, unless if you haven't heard of it, it's a client management software. I'm sure you've heard about it, Nathan, but for our viewers, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> client management software, it helps you manage all of your contracts, invoices, all of your client communication, inquiry, all of that. So that's been incredibly helpful for me because it keeps everything organized. Because to be honest, by nature as an artist, I'm not an organized human being. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Don't look in my sock drawer. It's not organized. Uh, we won't. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but HoneyBook kind of takes all the effort out of that for me because all okay. of my inquiries and everything filter through that. So that's been super helpful. Calendly Can I ask has you been before you keep going? Yeah. How did you choose HoneyBook? Because there are so many different options out there. What was it yeah. that drew you specifically to HoneyBook? To be totally honest, it was just the first one that I had heard about. And so I jumped on it. Cool. And I think that there are plenty of also awesome options. I haven't used them myself, so I can't really speak to it. But at this point, I'm so integrated into HoneyBook with all of my email templates and everything that it would be a massive undertaking to move to a different platform. So yeah. I've been able to, as of yet, find everything I need in HoneyBook. So I haven't had any need to change, but... Ask me again in a few years. We'll see. Fair. Well, I mean, a little bit of the time that I've spent in, on the platform in the past, I was super impressed yeah. by how they kept things as simple as possible. Because with something mm -hmm. like a CRM, you could get super complicated. And I know certain mm -hmm. companies do. And that can yeah. be super overwhelming, especially for a sole proprietor. So the fact that HoneyBook mm -hmm. has kept it at least relatively simple, at least the last time that I looked, um, relatively simple, yeah. relatively user-friendly. You don't have all these different moving parts to think about all at the same time. I think mm -hmm. that that's at least helpful in yeah. some way, don't you? It, it definitely was. And I jumped on the HoneyBook fairly early in my business. So they did a lot of the like onboarding and stuff for me. I had a couple of contracts and stuff that I had as PDFs and they loaded everything in in the onboarding process, which was really great. Um, and it was very easy to navigate, very easy to find what I needed, which I really liked. I have heard some of the other platforms have more capabilities. Like you said, you can kind of build out a little bit further to whatever your needs may be. But I really did like how simple HoneyBook was where I could just jump in without ever really having used it and be like, okay, I can kind of find my way around and see what I need. Yeah, yeah. That, that is huge. The features, it's funny, I have a bad tendency in various areas of my life <laughs> of like thinking about the best possible option with all the, mm -hmm. with all the features and all the fancy this and yeah. that. And it, it, I do it playing a what if game in my head versus what on a day to day basis is going to actually matter is actually going to make the biggest difference. And at the end of the yeah. day, like I was talking about earlier, it's not necessarily the earth shattering, mind blowing thing <laughs> that's going to make the difference. It's doing the, the basic things really, really well. And it seems like HoneyBook mm -hmm. has kind of set up for that. So that's that's cool. You mentioned then HoneyBook was the first thing. Uh, what was the second system or platform that you mentioned? Calendly. And okay, that Calendly. is one I just started using at the beginning of this year. Mm -hmm. And so it's still somewhat new to me, but so far I'm very excited about the possibilities with it. So I've been using Calendly for all of my consult calls. 
my inquiry email template, which I do edit as each you know client inquires. But part of the like pre-written text in there at the end says, go ahead and schedule a call with me on Calendly. We can discuss your budget. We can talk about the details of your wedding and everything. And they can go to that link and directly see calendar completely laid out for them in my availability mm-hmm. and see where they can schedule a call with me, a 30 minute consult call. And I will say that I have had so much higher um, booking rates with that than I have just telling people that I'll book a call with them. Before I used to do everything through uh, like FaceTime or just do like an audio call. Mm -hmm. And we had to do the email back and forth and be like, when are you free? Like, oh, I'm free at this time. Oh, that's my lunch break. You know, that sort of thing. And now with creating that ease of access to the clients, I noticed so many more have been actually scheduling that consult call with me. And for the most part, if I can get clients on a call, they'll usually end up booking. So for me, that higher consult call booking rate means higher booking rates. I've also started scheduling all of my family sessions and engagement sessions through Calendly. And that's been incredibly helpful as well. Um, I will say starting with Calendly, there was a it was a longer process just getting it set up because it does take some time to get all the calendars integrated, get everything set up, get the appointments and everything set up the way that you like it. But from what I've learned with it so far, once it's set up, you pretty much set it and forget it and you're done. And that's been amazing. So what I've done with Calendly is I have my, I have separate calendars loaded in there for booking engagement sessions, separate calendars for booking family sessions. I take on a very limited number of family sessions because of my wedding schedule, mostly just for my previous clients who are now having babies. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's taken out the whole back and forth of when are you free? How much are your sessions? What are the options? Now, when I get an inquiry, I send them back a pre-written email that says you can view all my session options here at Calendly. If you're not sure what session you want to book, go ahead and book a consult call on my calendar. The other nice thing about Calendly is that it integrates with Zoom. So when someone schedules a consult call with me, it goes ahead and schedules a Zoom meeting for both of us, puts it on both of our calendars, and sends them reminder texts. So it takes out so much work for me. Again, I would have had to text them and be like, just a reminder, your consult call is at 1 o'clock today. That's all done for me now. It saves so much. I don't, I mean, I wish there was a way mm-hmm. I use a tool called text expander that, that gives me that, that automates a lot of the keyboard, like the text that I type out mm-hmm. for sig- email signatures and email addresses, and this kind yeah. of thing. And they actually have a way to, to, it shows me how many hours over the years that I've saved using the software. I wish that Calendly oh, would wow. do something like that because you're absolutely right. The amount of time that I've saved over the last, I don't know, it's been two, three, maybe four years using Calendly to schedule, especially scheduling podcasts, actually. It's amazing mm-hmm. how much it cuts out that back and forth, the unnecessary back yep. and forth via email where somebody can literally just get into the calendar and pick something that works best for them. I, I literally have, mm-hmm. I have a keyboard shortcut actually using text expander. CCAL is the, the, the text string that, that generates the link to my calendar. And, and then oh, I have a similar yeah. string set up on my phone as well that does the same thing. So if like if I'm messaging somebody either mm-hmm. via text or a messenger or whatever it might be, I can just type that in really quick. Here's my calendar. If you want to grab a spot that works for you, it's it saves so much time. That's so awesome. huge, huge, important. In fact, we'll link mm-hmm. to Calendly as well as HoneyBook, HoneyBook.com, Calendly.com in the show notes at BocaPodcast.com when we push the audio out. And then you mentioned there was a third platform. What was that? ClickUp. So I recently started using that. It's very new to me and I haven't even finished setting it up, but I'm very excited about it. 
ClickUp is a project management software similar to Asana or Trello, if you've used anything like that, or what are the Notion, Monday, there's about a million of these platforms. For sure. And ClickUp was the one that I picked because I have a friend who also runs a similar associate brand and that's what they had been using. So they were able to like show me how they set up their templates and everything. So that's the main reason I decided on ClickUp was just because I had someone that I could be troubleshoot with a little bit who is in the same type of business as I am. Um, But I think that there are a lot of awesome platforms for this as well. But with ClickUp, I'm able to create a template for each project. So I have like a weddings template. Um, And it has all of those tasks that I told you I listed out before. They're all built into that template with time triggers and with different assignees on the task and different instructions and stuff. So I'm able to, when I book a wedding, use that template to make a new wedding project. And then it automatically sets up all those tasks and everything with deadlines based off of the wedding state. And it also assigns certain tasks to me, assigns certain tasks to my assistant, and assigns certain tasks to my editor. So that all of us know at the same time when our deadlines are and when we need to get things done and when things are due. Wow. And that has just streamlined the process so much beyond even just keeping things organized. But now I don't have to communicate with my assistant. Hey, it's time to you know deliver their photos. They should be done from the editor. Or I don't need to tell the editor, hey, just a heads up, there's going to be a wedding on this date and I need the photos back by this date. He already knows that he can build it in his schedule ahead of time. He can make sure that he prioritizes that based off of the deadline. And I don't have to even remind him. That is brilliant. How long did it take you to set up all the workflows in ClickUp? Um, I don't know. Honestly, that was kind of a on the weekends and like whenever I was bored project. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I think for a couple of weeks, I kept on opening it and playing with it and tweaking little things and stuff. And we just started using it about a month ago. And so far, it's been awesome. There's still a few little bugs to work out and a few things that I want to do some more research to figure out how to set it up. Um, I think that there is a way to set up your HoneyBook to connect with ClickUp, where when you get an inquiry, it would auto-create a project. But I haven't figured it out yet. But someone told me that there's a way to link them up. So (laughs) maybe even through like a, are you familiar with If This Then That? Maybe something I like think that? I think it's something similar to that. Yeah, okay. there's another one. I can't remember the name of the platform, but it does the same uh, type of process. Um, so I'm looking at, once I figure that out, I'll let you know. But I'm sure that there's a way to connect them, and that would save me even one more step. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I mean, at the end of the day, look, just to kind of bring it back around, I, I know that, Rachel, you want to have a life outside of work. I certainly want the same thing. Mm-hmm. And, and honestly, I have a genuine mission behind what I do at Photographers Edit with the podcast and elsewhere mm-hmm. to to help photographers just have a bit more of a life. You know, but one yeah. of the things that suffers naturally, and I've been on the other side of this, so I know personally, but is relationships. Mm-hmm. Uh, if 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 we as entrepreneurs, as photography business owners, are so just caught up in what we're doing in our business day to day, relationships suffer. Number one, certainly mm-hmm. our mental health can suffer, as you pointed out, quite significantly at that. And there are other elements of life that we're missing out on experiencing because we're head down stuck in our business, just kind of constantly reacting to any and everything. And Mm -hmm. it is going to burn us out if we we don't step up above that. So having this kind of 30,000 foot view approach to business like you do, it it just what it enables and you're a great demonstration of this, what it enables not only in the ability to grow not just one, but two businesses and also have a life at the same time. I think it speaks loudly for the benefit of, of systems. And I'm really super glad that you've highlighted that today. 
Thank you so much. Well, it's and, been and really love, good talking about this. Well, and, and you're, you're super talented too in communicating it. So it's just been easy, easy for me. And I know an easy listen for our <laughs> listeners as well. Before we go here, because I know we, I, I want to respect your time and those listening in, I, tell us a little bit about like if photographers are interested in being or becoming part of your brand. And as we're talking about this here, I'm going to actually share uh, my screen one more time. We'll pull up uh, your brand here at Willow Wedding Co. But Talk to us a little bit about how photographers can become a part of this if they're interested in shooting with that brand. Absolutely. So I have an application. If you want to DM me on social media or something, I've been meaning to add it to the website. It was supposed to be on there in the launch last year. So this company actually was last launched last summer. So it's fairly okay. new. Um, and somehow it didn't end up on the website. So <laughs> message me if you want that link or fill out the contact form and I'll be able to send it to you. We are an inclusive wedding company, so we do shoot LGBTQ and BIPOC couples and couples of all different sizes and genders, so we do ask all applicants to please be aware of that and also be affirming and you know inclusive to our standards as a company, but we would love to have you. Right now, we serve Atlanta, Knoxville, Nashville, and Chattanooga, but eventually we will be nationwide, so feel free to apply no matter where you are because we may call on you when we need you. Well, that that's perfect because, mm-hmm. oh, and by the way, for everybody that that's just listening to the audio I, on the video, I was yeah. just kind of scrolling through the homepage of the site. We'll link to this certainly in the show notes, bocapodcast.com. Uh, the URL is willowwedding.co and uh, we'll make sure to put that there so that you can get to it easily. But um, Rachel, this has been it's super, super just beneficial. I think I, my goal at the end of the day is to add value to our listeners. And you've done that like multiple times over in about the span of an hour. Super impressed. <laughs> Lots of respect for what you're doing. Um, go ahead, if you don't mind, um, and let our listeners know where all they can follow you, find you online besides Willow, um, how they can follow yeah. what you're doing. Absolutely. So you can follow my wedding brand at OK Crow Weddings. That's just the letters OK and C-R-O-W-E Weddings on Instagram. We're also on Facebook. You can uh, follow along on my website. I have a newsletter pop up and would love to meet you and talk to you. Brilliant. Brilliant. Well, and we'll make sure again to link to all this in the show notes at bocapodcast.com. And uh, for everybody else listening in, I know we mentioned Photographer's Edit a couple of times. You can check out Photographer's Edit at photographersedit.com as well. This is a production of Photographer's Edit. Thank you, everybody, for for listening in, for making time. Thanks again to Rachel. And uh, I hope that everybody has an absolutely lovely day. We'll talk to you soon.